Welcome again to The Compass, the podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Anvil, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue working our way through God's Word. Now, in today's podcast, Pastor Kirk is continuing a new series as we look at Passover to Pentecost in the 50 days that changed the world. Now, if you're looking for a church home, a place to call your own, a place where you can connect with other believers and serve together and glorify God, we'd love to have you at Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're located at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And you can find out more information at calvaryfayetteville.com or call us at 479-442-4634. Again, Pastor Kirk is continuing a new series that talks about those 50 days that changed the world. His message today is from John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18, and is called Mary Magdalene, last at the cross, first at the tomb. Let's listen together. As we began last week, uh, a series of messages from Passover to Pentecost, focusing on some of the events that took place between the resurrection of Jesus and the day of Pentecost. These words are recorded in the last chapter of Matthew, the last chapter of Mark, the last chapter of Luke, the last two chapters of John, and the first chapter of the book of Acts. Today being Mother's Day, we joyfully honor all of our mothers, grandmothers, great-grandmothers who are present And in looking through these events from the resurrection of Christ to uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, uh, there is one story primarily that actually happened on Easter Sunday, on Resurrection Sunday, very early in the morning. And the last song that we sang a moment ago, Our Living Hope, could have been very easily written by the key character of our text today. Before we get into the Word of God, I want to recognize that days like today can be uh, days of mixed emotions. For some, it's a day of joy and celebration. Some of you have children or grandchildren with you uh, in services today, sitting with you. What a blessing I know that is. But for others, sometimes it can be a day of melancholy or even sorrow. For you see, some of you are celebrating perhaps your very first Mother's Day as a mom. Some are experiencing your very first Mother's Day without your mother. Still others may be enduring, well, another Mother's Day childless, wondering if that will ever change. Wherever you are today, God is there with you. That's one thing we can be sure of. And we want to be there with you also, to rejoice with those who rejoice, to weep with those who weep, as Scripture uh, instructs us. But what I would like to do today is to expand the meaning of this day and celebrate not just mothers, but godly women, the godly women God has placed among us, some who have great prominence in the Word of God and in the story of the gospel, as we will find today. 
whether you are a single woman, a wife, a mother, a grandmother, or a great-grandmother, we thank God for you today and want you to know that you are important and that you are a blessing to our church family. Now, the woman we're going to focus on today was not a mother, at least as far as we know, at this particular time in Scripture. For much of her life, she may not even have been a good woman. Some believe that, in fact, she was quite evil before meeting Jesus. But in the wisdom and the plan of God, she was especially blessed and given an important task. Notice on the screen that this woman was the first to see and speak to the risen Savior. She was there ahead of Peter. She was there ahead of John. She was there ahead of all the other apostles. This person, a woman, was the first to see and speak to the risen Savior. And also, she was the first to bear the good news of the resurrection. In fact, she was given a specific task to take the message of the resurrection to the apostles. Some have referred to her as an apostle, small letter A, to the apostles, capital letter A. An apostle to the apostles. Of course, I'm speaking of Mary Magdalene. And we read this account in John chapter 20. Follow along in your Bibles beginning in verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple. That other disciple, by the way, is John. And John is reluctant to use his own name in the gospel that he wrote down. He was known as the apostle whom Jesus loved. And he refers to him as this other disciple. Verse 3, so Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she went, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, 
Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Well, the first person to see the empty tomb and to see the risen Lord was Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene, a woman who would have been considered an outcast by the religious community of the day. A woman who was known at one time to have seven demons living inside of her. This woman was the first to glimpse the empty tomb, see the risen Savior, hear His voice, and to receive His commission to go and tell. Interestingly enough, This story in John 20 is more fully understood when we read it in the light of and compare it to the story of the fall of mankind recorded for us in the book of Genesis chapter 3. I want to share with you four similarities. I don't believe it is by accident. You say, what in the world? Would the story in Genesis 3 of Adam and Eve's fall into sin and being expelled from the Garden of Eden, what in the world would that have to do? What similarities would it have to do with Mary going to the garden tomb and finding Jesus, a resurrected Savior? And I would say it has everything to do with these two stories. First of all, notice that there were two gardens. Both of these stories took place in a garden. Mankind's fall occurred in the Garden of Eden, a place of intimate fellowship with God, a place of perfection a place where Adam and Eve could have been living still had they not chosen to disobey the one commandment of the Lord. If you remember, after Adam and Eve disobeyed him, the Lord cursed the ground and banished them from paradise, banished them from that perfect garden created just for them. On Resurrection Sunday... Christ appeared in a garden 
The Bible tells us in the chapter previous to this that there was a somewhat of a secret disciple, a, a man who was a man of wealth, a man who was a man of, uh, of great possessions, who was a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. His name was Joseph of Arimathea. And after Jesus died on the cross, it was Joseph who went and asked for his body, stating that he had a brand new tomb that had never been used, that had been carved out of the stone, out of the rock, for he and his family. And it is in a garden not very far from Calvary, not very far from Golgotha. And he took the body of Jesus had him wrapped in linens and placed in that burial place. And now, because of his redemption and intimate fellowship with God, we find that that fellowship is available again. Jesus reopened the doors of Eden, as it were, in this garden in Jerusalem that belonged to Joseph of Arimathea. There were two gardens. The story begins there, and the story continues here. Secondly, there were two women. You know that in this case, it was Mary Magdalene. She came to the tomb early. When you compare this with the other Gospels, there were other women who came also. Perhaps they intended to meet there. But John's account records it only in the eyes of Mary, although we know that there were other women present. In the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3, sin entered the world when a serpent deceived the first woman whose name was Eve. On Resurrection Sunday, after Christ had defeated Satan through his atoning death, Jesus appeared first to a woman, one who had previously been in bondage to Satan's demons, as I've already mentioned. Listen to these words from Luke chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. Soon afterward, he went through cities and villages, proclaiming, this is during the ministry of Jesus, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. One of them is named Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven devils had gone out, seven demons. Now it can sometimes get confusing in Scripture, particularly the Gospels, when we encounter the name Mary. For in the New Testament, there were at least six women named Mary. In the Gospels, there were four, Mary the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, which literally means Mary of Magdala. That was her home village there on the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee between Capernaum and Tiberias. There was Mary of Bethany. She was a sister to Martha and also to Lazarus, who would later be raised from the dead. And there was Mary, the wife of Clopas, the mother of James the Younger, and of Joseph. Those four are mentioned in the Gospels. Then in the book of Acts, we have Mary, the mother of John Mark, mentioned to us. And then in Romans, we find in Rome, there was a Mary, a hard worker in the church at Rome. 
But our text today is Mary of Magdala. She is the New Testament, follow me now, counterpart to Eve in the story of the garden in Genesis 3. Eve in the garden in Genesis 3, Mary in the garden, in the garden of the resurrection in our text today, John chapter 20. She's the one who said to the angel, or to the gardener, supposed gardener, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Well, there was not only two gardens, there were not only two women, there were two gardeners, or at least it appeared. You find that Jesus speaking to Mary in verse 15 She supposed that he was the gardener, and he asked her, woman, why are you weeping? Understand that woman, when it is used by Jesus in this way, it's not woman like your husband may use when he speaks to you and is not real happy, but instead it is a term of respect and endearment. It is a term that that is not derogatory or critical in any way or demeaning. Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, please tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. If you remember in the story of creation, God planted this Garden of Eden... And he placed Adam and Eve in it it to do what? Do you remember? To work it. To tend it. To be the gardeners of that place of perfection. They were given not only life. They were given not only to each other. They were given purpose and a task to do. It was Adam and Eve that were the tenders, the gardeners in the first garden. The Lord, it says in Genesis 3, the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. What a great responsibility, but they rebelled against God after Eve was deceived. And they were expelled from that place. And from that day forward, they toiled, not in joyful surrender but an absolute survival mode. They they broke the ground and they toiled against the thorns and the thistles and all the things that were not there until their sin. And on Easter morning, Mary thought she had encountered a gardener. Do you remember that the Bible in 1 Corinthians calls refers to the first Adam and the last Adam? Do you remember that? In the first Adam, we all died. But in the second or last Adam, we can all live. Both of them are federal heads of mankind, just like every human being has descended from the first Adam. Every saved, born-again Christian Christian is a descendant of the second Adam of Jesus Christ. In one we all died, in the other we all live. The scripture says this in 1 Corinthians 15, For as by a man came death, that's the first Adam, By a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. That's the second Adam. 
For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural. And then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. There were two gardeners. Well, one was a gardener in parentheses. He wasn't really the gardener. He was Jesus. But Mary thought he was. And so we find there were two gardens. There were two gardeners. There were two women. But also, understand this, there were two sets of angels in each of these gardens. After Adam and Eve fell into sin, God posted the cherubim with a flaming sword east of paradise. The Bible says this in Genesis 3. He drove out the man. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Cherubim is a word that is plural. It's not describing one. It's describing at least two. It's a plural form of cherub. So as God drove Adam and Eve out of that first perfect garden, he placed at least two angels, maybe more, at the entrance so that Adam and Eve could never get back into it. They had been lost. They lost all that they had. They lost who they were. And all mankind, the sin that they committed, the Bible tells us, has passed on all of us. By birth, by inheritance, we have inherited their sin nature. We are all sinners. And we cannot work our way back into a Garden of Eden. It's impossible. It was impossible for Adam and Eve. It's impossible for us. But on resurrection morning, two angels appeared in the garden, not to banish mankind from God's presence, but to invite us to behold the risen Messiah. Peter and John didn't see those angels. But when Mary entered the tomb, she did. She saw them. They were very real. And I find it very interesting. Maybe I'm driving the point too far here in speaking of what they represent. But do you remember when God told Moses, gave him plans for the tabernacle in the wilderness, this house of worship where God would dwell among his people for 40 years. Do you remember that? Do you remember there were several pieces of furniture? There was an altar on the outside. But on the inside, there was the Ark of the Covenant. And on top of it was the mercy seat. It was in the Holy of Holies. And that mercy seat was where the high priest once a year, and only the high priest, no one else, where the high priest could go in one time a year and sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice, symbolizing the blood of the Passover, 
symbolizing the sacrifice that was for our sins. Do you remember that that mercy seat had two angels, two cherubim, one on either end, and their wings overshadowed the mercy seat? Can I say to you that it is beyond coincidence that as Mary looked in and saw this burial place where the master had been laid after his death, where his blood would have been on that burial place, on that uh, bed, so to speak, and here were two angels and how it was picturing for her exactly what took place in the Old Testament as Jesus Christ in both cases provided blood to cover our sins. And here on this mercy seat, so to speak, were these two angels. But Mary stood weeping, verse 11, stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head, one at the feet, and they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Well, I hope you can see a connection between that first garden and this garden in John chapter 20. There were two gardens. There were two women in the story. There were two gardeners. There were two sets of angels. And we wonder, why are there so many parallels? God wants us to know. Follow me now. Tune in with me. In God's great plan of redemption, Jesus' death and resurrection, he was unraveling the curse of the Old Testament. He was unraveling Eden's curse. In Eden, mankind fell and was banished and was living under condemnation and sin ever since. But because of the sacrifice of Jesus, that curse is being unraveled. It is being reversed. Jesus is reversing the curse. In Genesis 3, we have described for us pain, slavery to sin, alienation from God's presence. But in John chapter 20, we have healing, we have deliverance, and we have restoration of fellowship with the Son of God. Have you experienced that? Are you a follower, a true follower of Christ today? I'm not talking about trying to live a good life in your own works. I'm not even talking about being a church member. I'm not talking about being baptized or some other thing that you might have done or might be doing in order that you hope you'll go to heaven someday. I'm asking you if you have come to a place in your life that you have seen your utter hopelessness and helplessness because you are a sinner under the curse of God, banished from paradise because of your own sin, not just Adam's and Eve's, but your own. 
And have you come to a place that you realize there is nothing on earth you can do to change that? There's nothing you can do to undo that. There's nothing you can do that will ever be good enough in order to go to paradise, to go to the garden of God, to go to the heaven described in the book of Revelation. That there's nothing you can do to make that happen. For you see, Jesus has already done everything for you. He took your place. You deserve to be crucified and so did I. We deserve to die as a result of our sins. But Jesus took our place. And he did so willingly. He did so trusting his Father. He took our sin upon himself, was nailed to a cross, was crucified bearing the sins of the world, your sins and mine. So it's a matter of trusting him calling upon Him for forgiveness, asking Him to come into your heart and life and take control of your life. It is totally based on what Jesus did, not on what you might do someday or have done someday in the past. Jesus did the unthinkable when He died for our sins. But then on that resurrection morning, understand this, he did the unthinkable in choosing to first spread the news through a woman named Mary. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Women's Day. Jesus chose you to be the first bearer of the good news to be the first to understand the good news. He revealed himself to Mary of Magdala, a woman who had been demon-possessed to be the apostle to the apostles. He broke all tradition, for in first century Israel, women were not even allowed to be a witness or to testify in a court of law. They were all considered unreliable. Some even considered all women to be liars. Yet when Jesus was raised from the dead and he wanted this fact proclaimed to the world, he first commissioned one of his women followers to spread the news. What does that leave us with today? Well, how about these four application points? One we've already said several times. Mary Magdalene was the first person chosen by God to announce the good news of Jesus' resurrection. But another application point is this. Women, wives, mothers have the great honor of helping to advance the kingdom of God in our world no matter, no matter the failures or the fiascos of their past, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, as a woman, you have that blessed honor and privilege 
to help advance the kingdom. I'm thankful that we've got faithful women who are down the hall right now advancing the kingdom of God with some of your children this very moment we sit here. We have others that did so during Sunday school. I hope all of you women are advancing that kingdom among your families, your circle of friends, the people you work alongside. Let's take it a step further. Women are equal with men before God. Women are equal with men before God. They have, you have different roles and responsibilities, but that doesn't make you less. Your worth is not greater because you maybe are working somewhere in the secular marketplace. There is no calling higher. There is no calling better. There is no calling more honorable than being a homemaker, of being a wife, a mother, a godly woman. Women are equal with men, but with different roles, different responsibilities, different abilities. Another application point is this. The greatest sphere of influence for women, chiefly wives and mothers, is in the family and home, especially their influence on the next generation. Caitlin, would you put up the picture, please? Can you see that? Can you see what this mother is doing as her young daughter is having to navigate the pitfalls that she will encounter in life and in the world. Great chasms that will swallow up our children. The enemy's traps, the enemy's hatred, the enemy's desire to take your children from you to take your grandchildren from you. The enemy that is preparing a place for them in hell. And what is this mother doing? She is helping her daughter navigate those pitfalls in life. But do you see how she's doing it? She has the word of God in her hand. And she is spreading the pages of Scripture. She is spreading the Word of God to her daughter. And by taking one step to the next to the next on the Word of God because her mama gave it to her, this child is safe. Moms and dads, you spend a lot of money getting your children all kinds of special education and training in life. You invest your kids into schools and teachers, into tutors, into coaches. You see to it that your child has the best of everything to the best of your ability, wanting them to have talents, wanting them to be successful in life. 
But I want to tell you something. There is nothing more important than for you to be giving your children the Word of God. Not even just outsourcing it to the church. That's important. But giving them the Word of God yourself. Taking the Word and teaching your children the Word of God a page at a time. I want you to know that's the greatest thing you can do for your kids. <clears throat> Have you ever heard the poem by William Ross Wallace called The Hand That Rocks the Cradle? You've heard that expression, right? These are the last two stanzas. Listen closely. Woman, how divine your mission here upon our native sod. Keep, oh keep the young heart open always to the breath of God. All true trophies of the ages are from mother love impearled. For the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. Blessings on the hand of women. Fathers, sons, and daughters cry. And the sacred song is mingled with the worship in the sky. Mingles where no tempest darkens. Rainbows evermore are hurled. For the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.